Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. It's the good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. I'm your host, Yale Train. Over there is Mr. Two Frames Bull. He's the other host. Howdy. How are you, sir? Doing well. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to convince me that this is a good movie. You really disliked it that much. And of that, we're talking about Mission Impossible, Road Nation. Mr. Chairman, the time has come to dissolve the IMF. It's not just a rogue organization. It is a disgraced one. Shutting down the IMF is a mistake you may regret. This is Brent. Go secure. Go. The syndicate is real, and they know who we are. You need cooling. A rogue nation trained to do what we do. An anti-IMF. They're coming after us with everything they've got. Oh, boy. So this is Mission Impossible. M colon I five Rogue Nation, written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Did he write it? Uh, yeah, he did the uh, writing for this. And uh, starring Tom Cruise, uh, Simon Pegg is in this. Jeremy Renner is a holdover from last. Those two guys were in Mission Impossible Four, and Ving Rhames is the only guy that's been in it, all of them, other than Tom Cruise. Yep. Uh, and then two newcomers, Alec Baldwin. And uh, Rebecca Ferguson stars as Ilsa Hunt. No, Faust. Ilsa Faust. Tom Cruise is Ethan Hunt. That's why I got this thing mixed up. Uh, and so, w- can you convince me that I should like this movie? Well, yeah, it's the movie that put me over the top in the bots office challenge. How's for that going to make me like it? Well, because the universe is working out the way it should. <laughs> right. I'm now on top with 184 million to your 181 million. Yeah, it doesn't look to change much after that. The The distance will probably be at least the same yep. after my movie. I have Sinister 2 left. Right? And I have Fantastic Four. All right, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about this movie. Yeah, this is the fifth Mission Impossible film. Have you liked any of the other Mission Impossible films? I like Mission Impossible fi- uh, 3. Right. And uh, I think the last one was okay. I like Ghost Protocol. All right. It was, there were parts of it that I really liked. Well, I mean, this is... And I like Mission Impossible 1, and I sort of like Mission Impossible 2, even. So this is your least favorite of the five? No, probably Mission Impossible 2 is my least favorite. This might be somewhere in the middle. All right. Well, I mean, this is classic spy fare. I thought you enjoy spy films. You've got Tom Cruise doing what he does best, running all over the place. I don't know if I do enjoy spy films. All right. Do you I, enjoy I Tom think... Cruise running? He's a great runner on screen. Someone taught him how to run, I guess, because he runs with those blades like he's cutting through the air with his hands, like he's karate chopping through the air. And I know you're big into running, so maybe that's why you like the movie He runs so really well. And I thought Rebecca Ferguson did a great job in the film, really held up her of own running? end. Except during the running scenes. Okay. He clearly outran her. <laughs> All right, so this is uh, Ethan. This is the, the title, or the, uh, sorry, the synopsis from IMDb. Ethan and team... Now listen to listen to this, because mm-hmm. I want you to. I'm going to ask you a question after I read the synopsis here from IMDb. Ethan and team take on their most impossible impossible mission yet, eradicating the syndicate, an international rogue organization as highly skilled as they are, committed to destroying the IMF. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds like an interesting movie. I don't think that's what we got. I don't think the syndicate is trying to destroy the IMF at all. Well, they want to kill Tom Cruise. He's part of the IMF, and apparently he's their only real agent. Because we have to save part of that for spoilers in terms of what what the ending is. And we'll have to get into that in spoilers, because that's where the movie begins to break down for me. And and it's not just that I'm trying to nitpick either. But I think a lot of people are giving this movie a great big pass because it is an action movie. And... I have to say at the outset that I guess I'm no longer qualified to comment on these kinds of movies at all because I might not be wired in a, in a, any way to give it an effective interpretation or or criticism. Like, 
why listen to me as to whether or not an action movie is any good? I don't know. You shouldn't. <laughs> like, I, I, all I can tell you is whether or not I like a movie. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I mean, that's my subjective take on it. At the end of it, I, I don't know if there are very many action movies that I like. I like The Kingsman. Mm-hmm. I can't you liked Ant-Man a week or two ago on the show, and that was a movie I disliked. Right. I don't know what it is that make I like Pacific Rim. I guess that's an action movie. It's sort of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I like Christopher McQuarrie and um, Tom Cruise and the other movies that they did together. And I, I hear they're making another... Uh, Edge of Tomorrow? Yeah, Edge of Tomorrow too. Yeah, they're just trying to get the budget nailed down. So I'm so. kind of looking forward to that. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm qualified to be... Uh, well, I mean, this is your standard fare. It checks all of the boxes. Male lead, good-looking, uh, mysterious hot girl who can keep up with him. There are fight scenes. There are gun scenes. Uh, you got chase scenes, both with cars and motorcycles. You have the ridiculous stunts. So if you had a checkbox of what makes up an action movie, mm-hmm. trope number one through ten, you could check all ten. You've got the Mission Impossible face mask that you know changes your appearance completely. Yeah, I don't like that part of it. I didn't like that in the lab. I didn't like it in Ghost Protocol. Cool uh, gadgets, like the phone that doubles as a lock pick and has the screen that shows you it picking the lock. <laughs> yeah. I so know if anyone's watching some... from down the hallway, they can see that something weird's going on. Uh, I think there's inconsistent technology in it. That's kind of what bothers me. It's like when, when you need a technological gadget to get you out of a certain situation, it's there. Mm-hmm. But you have all these hyper-sophisticated technological um, gadgetry that is typical in most spy fiction, but or spy films. But for the main thing, the MacGuffin, that sort of drives the entire sort of conflict of the movie, there's not some simple technology available that I've seen in other movies that could have fixed the problem that, that they suffer from. That mm-hmm. I don't want to, I'm sort of, talking around it because it's it's the action set piece in the middle of the movie that um you know i I think that's where the main conflict lies and i don't want to really reveal a whole lot about it interestingly though it's not the action set piece that everybody thinks it might be so this was some actually some pretty good uh i have no idea what you're talking about well i don't i haven't seen a whole lot of the marketing for the movie but i have seen the scene where he's hanging off of the a130 or whatever which is a really good stunt and, you know, it's a big deal. He's done all of his own stunts. And it was an interesting um, part of the movie. They kind of set it up to be the action set piece for the entire movie when it's the cold open. Mm-hmm. And it happens in the first five minutes. And then I guess everything is supposed to escalate from there in terms of stunts and action and all. Um, I don't know if it ever did. Really? Yeah. I thought the opening uh, scene, the action was good. The stunt work was awesome. Yeah, I know. The guy so. running, jumping off the hill onto the plane stuff like that i mean it felt like there was a lot of practical stunt work here um that's my point a lot of the chase sequences i thought were practically done later on yeah all right throughout the whole film so i'm i would think you would appreciate the practical aspects of this film i I did to an extent but i didn't see any reason for them really to be there except just as as uh functions of being another box to check but i mean the, the action film checklist a lot of times, I guess, with these action films, you go in and you go, oh, so much green screen, I can see all the CGI. Well, now that I didn't feel really... like it was that bad in this film. I, there was one part where I was taken... I didn't think it was that bad. There was one part where I was taken out of the movie because of the CGI, and it involves water. Now, interestingly enough, I think the J.A.J. Abrams version, the uh, Mission Impossible 3, mm-hmm. when they're on the bridge... There's a bridge sequence with exploding missiles and things like that. They built that bridge out in the desert and they CGI'd all the water in afterwards, which is actually kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the water in this, that's to me is clearly CGI, um, is sort of the main point of that scene. I mean, they make a big deal out of it, and that's why I think you're looking at the water, and that's why I'm sort of I was. I sort of noticed it. The CGI in Mission Impossible 3, I didn't notice was CGI. But it was all CGI'd. Okay. So it's like a, he's, it's like a magician will have you look at one thing or he like, he waves his hand around 
while he's performing the trick with his other hand and everybody's watching the the movements of one hand while they're not paying attention to the other thing that's going on. This uh, Mission Impossible 3 had that CGI of the water, which you're not really looking at the water. You're not really paying any attention to it, so because it's easy it's to miss. background. Right. This movie, it's not in the background. It's in the foreground. It's an important well, thing. It's an important difference. element. I know, and that's why I was Senate, taken out of it. I don't. Think that's why I was able to. That's why I was taken out of the movie was because it was the CGI was more obvious. Okay, you, you, you're comparing apples to oranges, though. Because no, I'm not. It, no, I'm explaining it, why I was taken out of the movie. Okay, can I explain why it's apples and oranges then? Yeah, because you're comparing an effect that's in the center of the frame to something that's just background. Right. In set extension. Set extension is much easier to do. I don't think we notice it 80% of the time when they do it in films. Right. So to say, well, that one's just better, it's set extension. They do that all the time in movies. That's not That's not Constant. my argument that one is better than the other. I'm saying that I, you asked me earlier why, I, why the CGI in this didn't bother me or does bother me, and I'm, I'm telling you why it bothers me in this movie where it doesn't bother me in some other movies, is in this movie it was front and center. And I don't think it was done as well. In that one shot. But I know, that's the, all it but, takes. But the background replacement was fine, and I'm pretty sure if you watch MI3, there are some scenes where the CGI is pretty noticeable. Yeah, I know. There probably is. I'm just saying that in that movie, I didn't notice and it didn't take me out of the movie. In this movie, it did. And then I was sort of taken out of the movie in the main action set piece. I'm just saying that's that's where I stand. That's not where most people stand on this movie. I understand it's like it's highly rated, and most people say it's the best action film of the year, or maybe in the last ten years. And a lot of people are saying this is the best Mission Impossible movie. But no, for I... me, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. It's, I mean, uh, okay, I just I think you're setting up a straw man argument. No, I'm just re- I'm just no, responding you, to your question. Okay, you cannot compare the biggest special effect scene of this movie to a tiny special effect in another film and go, oh, well, the other film did special effects so much better. I don't know if I made that argument. You are. You're saying the water in MI3. You're wrong. I'm telling you why this, what I didn't like about this movie. What I didn't like about this movie. Yeah, and again, I'm not saying your it's... examples, you, you have to go off your examples. Right, and that your was your example the point. is the biggest special effect in this film, the thing that's going to be the hardest to nail because we're not used to seeing something like that. All right, so, so already there's an uncanny valley out. you're having to get by. I'm explaining why that's going to be difficult for it to work. Instead, you go, oh, I didn't notice that the water was fake in this replacement scene where I would expect to see water, and it's far off in the background. It's not far off in the background. It's a bridge over water. <laughs> I, just, I mean, but it's not the main thing that you're paying attention to. It's an apples to uh, oranges argument. I think you're missing the point of my argument, which is fine. You t- you've done that before on other things. I don't... What, what is your point? My point is, in the big action set, in the big action set piece uh-huh. of this movie, the water looked fake, and it took me out of the big, big action set piece. And you went on to compare it to MI3. So I'm just saying that what was the, the CGI like in the big action set pieces of MI3? I don't think that that was the big action set piece in MI3. And I'm, just I'm asking that, you how the CGI was in MI3. Well, because you can't say the CGI ago, was bad in this and it wasn't in MI3, and then you don't even talk about the CGI in the big action I don't know if I ever pieces. said that it was bad. You, it, it I'm was saying worse. it took me out of the movie. And then I said it was all subjective. It's all about it's all about my experience. I'm okay, just telling you what happened. Okay, now you're trying to evade because you've been I'm not evading. The, yes, you are. I'm not evading at all. I'm saying that se- sequence I was taken out of the movie. You said at the beginning of the show <clears throat> MI3 was your favorite film. Yeah, I like of this. But well, for a different reason than this. I like the well, I mean, and that sequence that I'm talking about, that's not the main thing that that I didn't like about the movie. It's not well, even it's the, the main first part. thing you're choosing to talk about. I was responding to your question. All right. You asked me a question about the CGI. Yeah, and this is where you chose to take it. <laughs> because that was my point. I, I didn't even write that down as a main thing. It was just something that, that took me out of that sequence. But nevertheless, uh, the, another thing I didn't like about the movie was the, the lead villain. Uh-huh. 
he wasn't now the lead villain in, in Mission Impossible Three was played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he was probably the best villain in the whole series. This villain is somewhere I don't know in the middle. He's completely forgettable, and I didn't like the actor who played him. I didn't like the way he played him with his mannerisms, and he does some stupid things, and uh, I just thought it was ridiculous. I kind of liked when he went uh, Steve Jobs later on in the film. I mean, not mean to give away that? any plot, but right. he puts on the black sweater, tur- okay. or turtleneck, I guess, and he looked like Steve Jobs to me. Okay. Really? He didn't uh, look like Steve I Jobs? I don't know. I, didn't, I mean, that it wouldn't have made any difference to, to my enjoyment of the movie. I'm not a big Steve Jobs fan or anything. No, I just thought it was kind of funny. Like, you hey, thought he was making a call to that? Yeah. Oh, maybe. Oh, I thought that was a clear wardrobe choice. I liked Sean Harris. I thought he was fine in Prometheus. I'm looking forward to him in Macbeth. Yeah, I think he might be. He's Macduff in Macbeth. Yeah. So, but he might do well in that. I don't know. I didn't like his voice in this. I didn't like his mannerisms, and it didn't seem like. I don't know. He just didn't seem like the equivalent to, uh, play to play up against the Ethan Hunt character. Well, it's also weird uh, with Rebecca Ferguson. She's playing like a femme fatale double agent type right. role you're never really sure if she's good or bad and what her motivations are now i will say this she was awesome yeah she makes the movie worth it she makes the movie worthwhile if if someone were to say should i go see this movie i'd tell them yes so i would recommend this movie even though personally for me it didn't do a whole lot but and it would mainly be because of her because those are the two th- the two things that i really like about the movie are tom cruise for one and I'll talk a little bit more about him in a minute, but Rebecca Ferguson and her role uh, is really well done in this because she's really the hero of the movie. I would argue Tom Cruise is, but... She's always rescuing Tom Cruise. And he rescues her quite a bit. When? Uh, The motorcycle chase sequence. He doesn't rescue her. She wrecks him. After he takes out all the bad guys who are shooting at her. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe we need to save some of that for spoilers because I feel like I just spoiled something there. But that's fine, and I think I just want on that. No, because we'll, we'll come back to that. We can come back to that. All right. Uh, so let me make a note here. All right. All right. Who's who's the hero of the film? I, I like Rebecca Ferguson. I saw her in Hercules and didn't notice her at all. Her part, you know, didn't stand out at all. Apparently, she was also in uh, the miniseries The Red Tent that was on ABC earlier this year. I didn't see that either. It was a Bible epic or something. I, I think what's interesting about her is she can look very plain like an ordinary type girl but she can also come off as just drop dead gorgeous uh she comes off as extremely athletic in scenes where she needs to fight or when she's driving a motorcycle or whatever she she seems to be able to do it all and she does it believably and i don't know a whole lot of other actresses who have that range well she apparently she wasn't a physical actress like that. She wasn't re- really prepared or wanted to do that, but they gave her a six-week training regimen before the movie, after they hired her. And she trained, I think, with Tom Cruise some and his personal trainers and whatever, and they, they, they knew the specific things that they wanted her to do, and they taught her the martial arts they needed her to be able to pull off. And they wanted her to be able to do a whole lot of her own stunts. Mm-hmm. And she'd never done any of that stuff before, but in that six-week period, she trained to the point where she could where she pulled off a lot of her own stunts and she did a lot of those like I think she did some of the stunt work where they they repel down the side of a building. Mm-hmm. Um interesting story about her. She got the call while she was she sent in a sizzle reel to the producers which turned out to be uh Tom Cruise and Macquarie for this movie and while she was filming Red Tent she was riding on a camel and she got the the camel's name was Barbie and she got the uh the news that they wanted to interview her for this movie, for Mission Impossible 5. So she's driving, she goes back to London, she leaves Morocco, she goes to London, she's driving up the uh, driveway of this house to, to this mansion she wants to, uh, she's going to have this interview for, and she's like, this kind of looks familiar. She walks down the corridor into the house, she realizes that she's in the house or the mansion where they filmed Eyes Wide Shut, and Tom Cruise come, came walking around the corner. <laughs> She had a sort of surreal, out-of-body sort of, wow, what the hell is going on? Because, um, I don't know, it'd be kind of weird, I suppose. And then they gave her that role. She's the most sophisticated portrayal I've seen of a of a female spy. I can't remember or recall anyone 
with these kind of abilities and like all the, the, the different nuances to her character that you've mentioned. Yeah, no, I, I think she knocked it out of the park. Hopefully she does some other action films, but I could see her doing well in rom-coms and, you know, even just a romance film. I mean, she seems to have amazing range. Well, she doesn't, in this movie, she doesn't have to use sex as a weapon. She doesn't have to have that sex appeal. Although she has it, she doesn't have to have it. I wish I knew more women that use sex as a weapon. <laughs> Personally? I mean, I'd rather have that than a machete or a hand grenade. Yeah. If, if a woman's going to use a weapon on me, I'd rather have sex than a, than a machine gun. The only thing that bothers me in these spy films, though, is when you've got these super spies who meet up for the first time, and they have no previous knowledge of each other. But, Even though, you know, they, they're these super spies and they're doing all these amazing things and you you would think that the world that they run in, they would be incredibly well known. Well, the, that's one of the things, some of the writing in this movie was good too and they do mention that in this movie. They go, he says something like, do I know you? <laughs> when he first sees her. So they're aware of that of that drawback. The other thing they did with her, um, she takes her uh, high heels off to run around. Yeah. I've seen a couple articles about that, but. I was wondering if they went back and just filmed that one little bit after all the Jurassic World stuff. It makes sense, though. You mean, and then she really was running around in high heels and they, they CGI'd them out? No, 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 they just went back and just did that one scene where she asked Tom Cruise to take them off. I don't know. I thought, I thought that was a pretty good touch either way. Well, I think that the movie... If they did it in advance of Jurassic World, Christopher McQuarrie had to be over the moon when all the controversy oh, yeah. about Probably. Jurassic World came out and Dice or Bryce Dallas Howard's, yeah. you know, heel running. I, I don't know. I, I found, I think a lot of these movies, like they, they, they're hyper isolated though from other productions and things. It just seems like with a movie like this, mm -hmm. there's such a long production schedule and they put so much effort into it that it seems to show. I mean, uh, they're kind of like insulated in their own little world and it, it pays off. I think that there's a lot of, I mean, this is a, this is, it's not a polished turd. <laughs> I just didn't like it that much. There are some things I just didn't like about it. But she was one of the things I really liked about it. He was, I like, I liked him. I like Tom Cruise. I like him as a movie star. I think Tom Cruise is more like Ethan Hunt than Ethan Hunt is like Ethan Hunt. I never watched the original Mission Impossible series. Well, I'm talking about the character in the movie. The character in the movie Mission Impossible series. Okay. Not the TV show. He doesn't... I don't think he wants to do any of the things that he has to do. It's like he's reluctantly forced to do these things, and he would rather... Not that, he, not that he's lazy or scared. It's just like he doesn't want to have to jump off this building, or he doesn't want to have to um, climb onto this airplane. But he has to at that point. He's being forced to by the circumstances surrounding... The event. So he's the reluctant spy to you? I think he is. I think he's like, he's driven by his responsibilities, but I don't think he's a thrill seeker. Whereas Tom Cruise, I think he's a thrill seeker. I think he wants to like invent some sort of stunt or do some, pull off some sort of stunt. Like the, 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 uh, what Mission Impossible for Ghost Protocol, like scaling down the wall of mm -hmm. that mission of that tower in Dubai. I think he wanted to do that. So he's like, all right, let's make a movie around this. Well, he's made it very well known on various films that he's done, that he's only done them so that he can do certain stunts or get to partake in certain experiences. Like fly a plane? or Yeah, uh, Top Gun, he said, I'm not doing it unless we film with real planes. And they're like, no, no, we'll just use miniatures. He's like, I'm out. I'm good. Have you ever seen a movie where he's not on a motorcycle? <laughs> he likes riding motorcycles. Um, was it? Edge of Tomorrow, where he got to ride down like the middle of Paris on his motorcycle. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe and what there was like a it, motorcycle yeah, I mean, they freeze shut zone? down the yeah they shut down the street. It's just him, and he's like, you know, this is wonderful. Uh, they land a plane in the middle of London, hmm. like in front of some government building, and he's like, who gets the chance to do that? Yeah, you know, it's got to be fun. I, I think he enjoys uh, getting to have these wonderful experiences and he's not going to let some stunt guy take over for him. I, I don't think Ethan Hunt likes that. I don't think he, he would go find those things out. So Ethan seek Hunt those things out. live a quiet life. I think Ethan Hunt as a psychologically is compelled to do what he thinks is the right thing. 
mm-hmm. and he's a, either a patriot or he, he wants to save lives or he he he's aware of his abilities and he knows that he has to use these abilities to save the world or to to solve the the problem or to to complete the impossible mission and he's willing to accept that role and do those things but i think it's to his chagrin I don't think that Tom Cruise has any chagrin about it. Well, I mean, if you are a super spy, you've got to be wired differently than the rest of us. I mean, probably the closest um, comparison in real life that we have would be astronauts. Astronauts are just amazing people. They are the best of the best of the best. You know, the top 1% of the top 1% of the top 1%. There's the story about Neil Armstrong. Uh, Not the one where he goes to the moon, but on one of the previous... Uh, space missions when they were testing out stuff apparently one of the rockets uh, fired and it wasn't supposed to it was like one of the landing rockets but they were going up and this thing was firing it was causing the spaceship to spin kind of uncontrollably he finally got the thing under control and managed to land it something maybe five men in the whole world could do I mean mm-hmm. just the piloting skill was amazing they were measuring his blood pressure and his pulse his blood pressure never went above 20 over 80 and his heartbeat never went above 65 beats per minute during this whole, like... 20 over 80? 120 over 80. Okay. Blood pressure. I I mean, he stayed perfectly calm, even though, I mean, he should have died. And, I mean, he probably knew in his head he had a very small chance of getting out of this alive. They do similar things with race car drivers. Like, they strap them to those things, and their blood pressure goes, their pulse never goes up. Even, like, when they're in the middle of these hideous accidents. So... Yeah, I guess Ethan Hunt would fit into that. But I think he'd rather take it a different way if he could. Tom Cruise would rather jump off of a building. Yeah. And yeah, I think he, he does a pretty good job of being Tom Cruise. And I admire him for being Tom Cruise. He is the last movie star that we have. I kind of agree with that. Brad Pitt's close. But even if you look at the trajectory of their careers, mm-hmm. Brett, uh, Tom Cruise is the same age as... Emilio Estevez, Brad Pitt, Kenneth Branagh, and even Sean Penn. All of those guys have done directing, writing. They've done other things. Mm-hmm. They haven't made their entire focus being Tom Cruise, you know, being Brad Pitt or being Sean Penn necessarily. Like they're they're involved in being other things. Kenneth Branagh writes and directs mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, Tom Cruise has never really done any of those other intellectual pursuits. He's just focused all of his attention on being an outstanding physical specimen. I think you're selling him a little short. I mean, he does produce a lot of his he films. He produces a lot of things, yeah. I think he's involved in the development I of think, a lot of these films. But there, he hasn't written anything. Yeah, he wrote Top, um, not Top, Top Gun Part Two. Okay, I mean, he's not Sylvester Stallone. Uh, who has a writing. Days of Thunder, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he wrote Days of Thunder, and he... I mean, he's just not wired that way. He's not wired intellectually like that. Yeah, I don't think he wants to take the credit for writing. I think he wants to build up a team and have a lot of people compliment him and say how great it is to work with him. He's more of the Arnold Schwarzenegger type. Schwarzenegger is great for doing interviews with another guy there from the movie. And he's like, I'll compliment you, you compliment me, and we go back and forth. So then it doesn't ever feel like we're just aggrandizing ourselves. I think Tom Cruise is really good with working with other people and letting them take the credit for writing a film or doing the cinematography. Well, I'd be interested in seeing him. In, I think he uh, politics really well. I don't know. He's a, he's a good poster child for Scientology. Okay. Uh, it's not like interested in that Sylvester sort of Stallone has, has a writing credit on every film he's done except for two, I think. In fact, when he did Cobra, he tried to get the author of the novel that the movie was based off of to remove his name from the novel and say that Cobra was written by Sylvester Stallone. But well, Stallone also wrote Rocky, and that's that's a very good story. It's a very interesting... I think he... I know he got nominated for a screenwriting mm-hmm. award. Um, and he's written other things. I mean, he's... I'm not saying that Tom Cruise is dumb. I'm just saying that um, like a guy like Emilio Estevez and Tom Cruise... 27 years ago were at the exact same stage in their career and Emilio Estevez decided to go off and write things and produce things and gain a couple of pounds. Tom Cruise is exactly the same as he was when he made the first uh, Mission Impossible movie. He looks exactly the same. He's 
two, I think he's like five years younger than John Voight was in Mission Impossible 1. So there's virtually no difference between this Tom Cruise and the Tom Cruise of 20 years ago. And I just, there's a huge difference between Brad Pitt of 20 years ago and Brad Pitt of today, just in terms of their interests. I'm not trying to denigrate them. I'm just saying he does a pretty good job of focuses, his, focusing his attention on being the well, I think, action movie star. I think he got really scared about 15 years ago when his career was almost over. I mean, he went through a cold stretch of four or five years where he was having a lot of trouble doing well with films. You know, around the time when he was doing Valkyrie. Oh, what's um, uh, what's the political thriller that he did with Robert Redford? Yeah, so you don't even know it because it was so bad. Oh, age of yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, when he was doing like Vanilla Sky, even Last Samurai underperformed. He wasn't the you know hit maker for a little while, and he really had to kind of reinvent himself. Or. Not maybe not reinvent himself, but re- return to his other self. Well, he was because he was the guy he plays in Days of Thunder and in Top Gun is the same guy he plays in Mission Impossible. And Mission Impossible came out 19 years ago, so I mean, my favorite movies of Tom Cruise are those smaller movies like Collateral. Mm-hmm. I, I like that movie a lot. Um, it was a good movie, but didn't do huge box office numbers. No, but he neither necessarily did Oblivion or Edge of Tomorrow do huge box office numbers, but he's still playing a version of himself, of of the Tom Cruise superhero kind of guy in there. Yeah, I think there was a time in in the 80s Tom Cruise wanted to do movies and get popular and become a movie star. In the 90s, I think he started to shift and he wanted to get recognized for his acting abilities. And I think he desperately wanted to win an Academy Award. And that's why he would work with people like um, Stanley Kubrick, and he was willing to spend 18 months filming Eyes Wide Shut. He did Magnolia. You know, he was trying to show he had acting chops. And his box office number suffered. He you know, made combats with Mission Impossible 2. Uh, what else? Mission did Impossible he... 2 didn't do great in the box office. It was the highest grossing movie of the year in 2000. Oh, well, he did Minority no, no movies did well in 2000. <laughs> he did Minority Report, so he got, you know, yeah, that's back up. was Spielberg. Yeah, and he started to try and make, I think, a little bit more of an acting move. Uh, Lions for Lambs was the movie I was looking for, the political thriller that did nothing. And then that's when he started dating Katie Holmes and was jumping on Oprah's couch and was just crazy. And I think after that, he learned, I just have to go and make the movies I like and not worry about getting the acting credit. You know, he did Tropic Thunder. He got a lot of good buzz from that for, you know, not taking himself too seriously. And then, you know, now he's just doing the action for the most part. I mean, he does the odd musical here and there, <laughs> Rock of Ages. But Well, the movie that uh, he has three or four movies on the uh, IMDb that are in production or pre-production, Jack Reacher 2 and Top Gun 2. But the movie Mina has some area where he might be able to stretch out his acting ability. But he is just playing a CIA agent, <laughs> although it is a period piece. So it looks kind of promising in terms of. We'll see. Where he might be able to go. But, I mean, he's doing that again with Dud Lyman, the guy he did um, Edge of Tomorrow with. Yeah, I hope he does more uh, stuff with that guy. I like him in sci-fi. I mean, to me, he's really finding the people that he works well with, and he's just going to stick with those guys. Well, I, I'm interested in seeing another version of Tom Cruise. I'm interested in seeing Thomas Cruise, but that's just me. I, I, I'm, I, I don't think that he's slight intellectually. I'd like to see... Something that he wrote, you know, I'd like to be able to, I mean, I I bet you he has a creative mind. Maybe he should, uh, I don't know, not for my own personal benefit. Maybe he should write something creatively and let me read a short story of his or something. I think he's so busy making films right now. He just, he doesn't have the time. Well, there's got to be some, there's going to be a time when he hits a wall. At some point, there's Mm going to be a time where he has to, he's going to have to start taking character roles. He's going to have to go the route of Edward G. Robinson. Why? I mean, his last couple movies well, I guess are doing well to, across but... the world. And that's the other thing we think, oh, well, he's filming this film for six months. And he comes out with one film a year. That's six months where he could go then and do whatever he wants, you know, while he's waiting for the next film, right? He should always have half the year. But he's constantly doing promotion for these films and going around the world. 
I've heard him talk about, you know, he'll go on a press junket for a month. At some point, the the body will give out physically. Yeah. And, and it just seems like, for him, it might happen 10 years from now or 15 years from now. But it, it just seems like there is going to be a point where he won't be able to just to be the action movie star. Possibly, but no, I, no. I think... Liam Neeson's 85 years old. He's doing it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Schwarzenegger, 68. Yeah, see, Schwarzenegger's not really pulling it off. I don't really think Stallone's pulling it off. I don't know. I mean, I just Uh, don't think that they're... I mean, Stallone and Schwarzenegger are both showing their age. Okay, but but they're in their late 60s. So 10 years from now. We we thought they were done doing action films back in 2000. Well, all right, maybe The Collective did. I don't know. Yeah, I I mean, that's when when their action movies really started to tank. I mean, Stallone did direct-to-DVD films for a while. Right. And then, you know, he did uh, Rocky Balboa followed by Rambo, and those both did really well. I mean, like I said, there's another Rambo movie in the making. (laughs) Yeah, that's been in production for quite a while, or pre-production, so. I'm just interested in seeing the next phase of Tom Cruise's career after the action movie thing sort of dies down for him. I think you'll be able to handle it. Tom Cruise is the old man? Thomas Cruise. I don't know. Maybe Sir Thomas Cruise. I think it would be cool if he just stepped away from doing films. If he pulled like the Cary Grant. When Cary Grant could no longer be the romantic leading man, he just stopped doing films. Yeah, I I don't want him to do that. I want to see this the second phase or the third phase. Like Marvel Phase 3, the oh, Tom Cruise Oh, we're at phase least three. in the third phase of Cruise right now. No, it's still Phase 1. <laughs> no, no, 80s Tom Cruise is very different from 90s. He not look any different. Maybe his running style has changed. The characters, he doesn't have that cocky grin like he did in the 80s films. Well, they do upend it some in this movie. They do, and I'll talk about it when I get to spoilers. I'll talk about that, <laughs> my argument that you don't seem to agree with. Well, anything uh, else, or are we ready for spoilers then? All right, so I did like Tom Cruise. I did like Rebecca Ferguson. I didn't like the other roles. I didn't like, I mean, uh, not the actors. I like some of the actors, but they didn't like the roles. The roles were just functionaries. Like, you probably didn't have this when you were a kid, because you're much younger than I am. But I grew up in the age where we had the Duquesne projector. Mm-hmm. We had the, the there was a noise that uh like a, a bell that went off that would tell you to advance the next slide and everybody wanted to be the person that would advance the next slide yeah. the duquesne projectionist Bing! we had those when i was in elementary school yeah the first couple of years yeah uh, we had those when i was in high school so that's what these other characters seemed like duquesne projectionists to me they seemed like they were simple functionaries i i, I don't really know what the difference is in terms of what they bring to the table between Benji, or or the, uh, what's his name? Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg's role and Ving Rhames' role. Because <laughs> it seems like they're, except one guy's older and fatter and blacker. Maybe not older. Maybe they're the same age. But they, they don't seem to bring a whole lot uh, of different skills. Like, I, at some point in the movie, Ving Rhames shows up, and he's in the trailer, so it's not a spoiler, but he's there to do essentially the same thing that, Simon Pegg does, and it's like, why? Why are you here? It just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, Ving Rhames was always supposed to be like the eyes in the sky. Simon Pegg, he was the computer guy, but he would go into the field. He's playing the Emilio Estevez role from the first film. He's not... But he's smarter and doesn't get crushed is by it, Is this the first time he goes into the field? Is the field guy? He did a little bit of something? field work in the fourth one, I thought. Or hmm. wanting to get into the field. I mean, the Mission Impossible TV show, though, was always supposed to be a group of people. It was never just supposed to be one star. I didn't I didn't really watch that show much, so I mean, I'm not really commenting on that. That was my understanding, at least. And then uh, in MI2, the John Woo one, they made like, Tom Cruise just seem like a super spy who did everything by himself. And I don't think that worked well. I think they want to have a team dynamic. I agree I that the team dynamic could have been done better. I don't think that they bring a whole lot of different dynamism to each individual role. It just seems like they're all doing the same sort of thing. So I, I would like to, like in sort of team dynamics, I guess you, you, you're you a big fan of the Avengers types of movies mm-hmm. where they bring their individual skills and their individual skills are highlighted in terms of creating a team effort. That doesn't necessarily happen in this movie. So I don't know. That's one thing that drew me back. And then finally, I guess, 
terms of what I didn't like about it, if you were to tell someone the story of this movie, that retelling of it would be insufferable. It would be like listening to a fever dream of a meth addict or something. So what? You could not explain this plot without sounding like a crazy person. And I think it's intentionally convoluted to the point of abstruseness. You, you, you're acting like that's not a big deal. Because but you, you made the exact same argument about the man from UNCLE yes, uh, last week. Uh, well, the trailer, I said, doesn't make any sense. You said it's a bunch of explosions and running around, and it doesn't seem to make any sense about anything. And then you but sort of dismissed it. But that's a trailer versus a movie. You sort of dismissed the movie, though. I, I, this, this movie just seems like an extended trailer. Okay. To go back to your comments, though, about if you have to explain the plot to someone, that it'll be tiresome. Or, yeah. Uh, you're a huge fan of True Detective. Yes. I feel like if you had to try and explain the plot of that show to someone, it would be tiresome. I'm personally a fan of Lost and 24, and both of those have crazy plots. Yeah, but they're, I don't know. They're, um, they're different movies, but um, your True Detective is an eight-hour television series or a ten-hour te- television series. Fine. So it's going the plot to be complicated. one episode of True Detective. I mean, I could do that. I mean, I'm not going to take the bait, but you're, if you ask me what I don't like about this movie, I'm going to tell you but, those things. But, I'm not nitpicking here. I'm saying no, that it's I, convoluted, I mean, and that's not a invalid criticism of the movie. It's convoluted, but also in spy films generally, along with heist films, the plot device that advances the plot is just a MacGuffin, and this film is full of MacGuffins. Right. You know, it doesn't really matter why they're breaking into a place or why bad guys are chasing them. It just drives the action forward. But it's empty MacGuffins, and then they bring... Empty MacGuffins? Yeah, I think so. I mean... That seems repetitive. Well, no, I mean, like a heist movie, like The Bank Job is a pretty good movie, or um, The Killing. Some of the movies that I like, even The Town. Okay. The Town, you could say that The MacGuffin, I guess, is the is the million-dollar score, the, the billion-dollar score at the end. That still has tangibility. It still has something that's that makes sense in light of the other actions in the movie. All right. But I guess I'll have to save the rest for spoilers. I no. can't say, unless you want to make another defense of it. Cause of, of this film? Yeah. I'm giving it a C. It does everything you want an action movie to do. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I mean, it seems like you wanted to... Uh, you tend to like movies that are deeply symbolic, and I don't think you find that in action films very often. Right. Um, you said the acting was good in this for the most part. Of two of the actors. If if anything, you wanted more character development. Again, you don't really generally get a lot of character development in action films. When this movie does it, it does it really well, though. You get it in Fury Road. You get it in Fury Road. The action development happens as a course or as a function of the movie. I mean, as a function of the plot. And and this happens with that girl, with Rebecca Ferguson's character, Ilsa Hunt. It happens. It happens, and they do it well. Other than that, though... There's not much to recommend it, as far as I'm concerned, but that's just me. <laughs> I thought it was great. Right. I thought the audience I saw it with was great. Yeah, you. Yeah, it was me in a 200-seat theater. That's the other thing. I great. saw it with a person, like, and again, this is my own choice. I sat in the back row of the front section because I didn't want to be with the great unwashed behind me. That was a bad choice because it put me too close to the screen to to really see the fight sequence well the initial fight sequence that happened i noticed that i was too close to it to give it its due um and i probably should have moved at that point and then when i noticed that the person behind me had a squeaky chair it's like that space mm-hmm. you know the platform and the mezzanine or whatever right the guy me. in the wheelchair his wheelchair was squeaky no it wasn't it was some <laughs> stupid kid sitting in a chair intentionally making a squeaky noise throughout the movie and there's nothing I could do about it. I couldn't. I I sat down there to avoid having to deal with people's like the light of their screens. And in this case, I had to deal with noise. It's a shame. I was dead center, two thirds of the way up, yeah. perfect eye line. Yeah. yeah. Sweet spot. The acoustics were perfect. Yeah, I think I was trying to get. I was like, this movie was filmed in IMAX, so maybe if I sit up here, it won't make that much of a difference. It'll be just like being in an IMAX movie. So I, I, that that was a bad choice. But anyway, so like I said, I'm giving it a C plus. Yeah. It's not a D minus or anything. Maybe a B. I don't know. Just not. I don't think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Like it really no, is. I think it delivered. It was what I wanted it to be. All right. So spoilers. All right. <laughs>
The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. Uh, Here come the complaints. No, I'm done complaining about it. All right. Are we going to get back to our argument then about Rebecca Ferguson is the only one who saves Tom, or she's the only one doing the saving? I didn't say she's the only one. I said she's the hero of the movie. Don't change my words. Well, I was asking you if if I've got the argument right, but she's always saving Tom Cruise, and you don't believe that Tom Cruise is always saving her as well. I may have said that, but I'm I'm willing to make an adjustment in terms of he saves her once. But then he doesn't really save her because she's probably good enough to get away. I mean, he does sort of shoot <coughs> at some of the guys on motorcycle. I, I don't know. I, I didn't really follow that part very well because why is there this big band of... The opening know, fight saying, scene, he helps yeah. her quite a bit. I mean, she's well, she, in trouble a couple times. And... Yeah, she, but she saved him. So, I mean, she... I think they go back and forth. I think they are equals. No, I think she's the hero. He's the damsel in distress. At what point would she have died without his intervention? At what point? Yeah, because she applies the uh, the defibrillator to him. Yeah, to save his life. She rescues him from the water, which she would have had to go and do, and she could only hold her breath for two minutes, and, and he could hold his breath for three. So that's the gadget part that I was suggesting that happens in other movies. They have breathing apparatuses that people could strap on. And that don't have any metal, so they're still yeah. able to withhold of or course. withstand PSI yeah. of 50 pounds per yeah. square inch. Plus, the was the world record for holding your breath is like 22 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's all... So. It, it, that gets really convoluted real quick. See, you agree with me. No, hold, holding your breath and then is... Are you, oh, yeah, the, the, the temperature was... Were you breathing pure oxygen? Yeah, why didn't, he, why didn't he pump some oxygen beforehand? You could have said... Yeah, you got, but see, okay... That's that's a problem with the movie. But let's let's go back to Rebecca Ferguson as the hero. All right. I think she's the hero of the movie, and I think she's the most compelling character in the movie. And I think Cruz was willing to let her do that. I think that's what make what elevates this movie over most action movies is the fact that she is the she would be the hero of the movie, even though she deals with the side villain at the end, where Tom Cruise takes on the lead bad guy. Yeah, but Tom Cruise jumps into a hole. Whereas she has the big fight at the end. She has the knife fight that takes down the big guy. She has the big action fight sequence at the end. He runs and jumps into a hole. After he's been running and jumping and Indeed. killing a bunch of other guys throughout the whole scene. Right. I mean, he's had his moments to shine. Not very heroic. Not any more than her, though. Not more heroic than what she does. She's the badass hero or heroine. I he, think he he's, does more shooting there at the end than she does. And yeah, she has this knife fight, and it's interesting, and it's good, and mm-hmm. I think she holds up her part of the bargain. She takes down the the main, you know, physical beast or behemoth. That Tom Cruise has already knocked crusher. out earlier in the first uh, fight scene of the movie, down he, in the did dungeon. Did he knock him out, or yeah. did she? Yeah. So he's already beaten that guy. He doesn't need to do it twice. He's didn't, Tom Cruise. Didn't kill him. <laughs> she didn't kill him. He didn't kill him. Tom Cruise. No. Tom Cruise would have died without her several times. And she would have died she, without him. I don't think so. The motorcycle chase scene, he also gets her out of the opera house. She would have gotten out of there too, but she never would have had to have any problem with him if he hadn't have shown up. He's the bumbling idiot that gets there and, and creates the problem for her. There was the assassin in the control booth that was going to shoot her. Only when she didn't do what she was... No, they sent two. They guys. sent three people in there to assassinate the the Vienna, the the head of or what the Austrian prime minister or whoever it was. Well, they sent two other guys other than her. One to kill the prime minister in case she fails, and then one to take out her. She was supposed mm. to die there. I don't think so. No, because isn't isn't the main function for her? This is the big problem I have with the movie. The main function of the, of her is to get. Tom Cruise to get the disc out of the water-cooled centrifuge. Mm-hmm. That's the main villain's main objective, is to get Tom Cruise so that he can get this this disc out, or this, this, this drive. Okay. Why would he ever put him in a position where he wouldn't be able to do that? 
Isn't isn't that sort of what drives the whole movie? Well, isn't that the central thing? The central the central score. Her her purpose for being in the film is to protect Tom Cruise up until the point where he can re- where he can get the disc out. Yes. And retrieve it and give it to the bad guy. Yeah. When so so why would they ever put Tom Cruise in any sort of um position where he couldn't be where where he might be um compromised? And the villain does that when well, initially he puts the bone crusher in front of him and the bone crusher is going to beat beat the heck out of him. Yeah, well, and wants to bone, kill him. Yeah, and that was going against the lead villain's orders. Right. And so he just wanted to torture Tom Cruise and get some information out of him, and he probably figured that the world's greatest spy was going to escape sooner or later. So he brought but the he was bone never crusher. Going to, so. But Bone Crusher didn't follow orders. Right. But bone, why was Bone Crusher ordered to do anything at all? Apparently he's a very good torturer. He has a suitcase full of nice torture devices. So what? Why was he ordered to, to torture anybody at all? To, because Tom Cruise knows stuff. He doesn't want Tom Cruise's knowledge. He wants Tom Cruise's abilities. I think he'll take the knowledge too, and he's got to sell he it. It's a guy convoluted that can, plot. He needs the guy that can go into the centrifuge to get the disc. Yeah, but he's That's got to sell point. the story. He's got to still be a bad guy. He can't just go up and ask Tom Cruise to do him this favor. Hmm. You know, do me a solid. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And I think he, he knows that have, uh, Rebecca Ferguson's working for the... The bad guy knows Rebecca Ferguson's working for the British. So he probably figures, you know, he's got to get the two of them together in a bad situation and let her get him out of it. You think he knows that? Yeah. You think he knows that she's a triple agent? Yes. All right, well, there's nothing in the movie that would suggest that. There's nothing in the movie that would suggest up to the point where he gets... Because his uppance comes when Tom Cruise destroys the disc. The disc that he wants all along, that has billions of dollars in it, her access to all those billions of dollars, that Tom Cruise destroys and then memorizes all of the bank sequences or all the, all the, uh, mm-hmm. um, whatever the codes. Yeah. He wants that, right? That's, that's the one thing he wants at the end, right? So yeah. why is he shooting at Tom Cruise while he's running away? He's shooting at the girl. And no, he's just... not. He's shooting at Cruise. He chases after Cruise. He shoots well, maybe Cruise. Maybe he's enough at that point. Maybe he's shooting to wound. Okay. <laughs> right. Wound him in the head and then thus lose all your billions? It's just stupid. There's there's just a lot of stupid things that go into in into the movie where there's whereas there's a whole lot of smart things and I just think with a little bit of effort and application they could have written their way out of those problems. It doesn't make sense. Well, okay. I mean even though Tom Cruise has the bank information, they could always break back into the waterfall hard drive spot and get the information again. Apparently there's only, there's only those, there's the disc, the original disc, and that's it. Well, Simon she makes Pate, two copies. Well, when he downloaded it from the center, now it's no longer on the center's hard drive? No. They deleted the, it from the hard drive there? It was only in that, it was only in that disc. It wasn't, there was, there was, see, even you and I can't agree on the convolutions of the plot. As far as I know, there is only that one location in the center of the in the centrifuge that they have to remove and then bring it to him and then it doesn't exist anywhere else. No, the centrifuge that was the access card so Simon Pegg could go in and use the computer to hmm. store the digital archive. I don't and know. And I thought it was I'm a digital sure archive there. Only... And it wasn't just like some lockbox that had a hard drive or had a little flash drive. I don't in know. It. Pretty sure there's only one way that they can get it, and that's to fool the prime minister into saying all of these ridiculous things. See, all right, it's a convoluted plot, but that happens a lot in spy films. And but that, it doesn't have to. That's my point. It doesn't have to. If they spend as much time thinking about, okay, what's a smart spy film then? I don't know. Maybe there aren't any. Well, then I don't think you have any proof that it doesn't have to be this way. I don't, I don't have any chambered at the top of my... And maybe that's why I said, maybe I'm not a very good judge of these things. No, what I'm I saying don't is like you're saying that these movies. things could be smarter. I'm saying, okay, give me a smart film. A smart spy Tinker film. Taylor, Soldier, Spy. That's based on a... Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Okay, well, there you go. So I don't know there's my smart, smart movie. There's there my are... one smart movie. <laughs> I know it's based on a book. That's I know all. that there are others out there, too. And I'm not just talking off the top of my head but again action movies don't seem to want to spend that much time 
okay. getting those things straight. Uh, in this movie, the motivations for doing certain things don't seem to make sense in light of the of the things that occur prior to the event or after the event. Just it doesn't make sense to me sometimes. Right. And then, then I guess it doesn't have to necessarily. It just that's those are some of the things that I don't like about it. All right, I, I definitely think this movie's smarter than the first Mission Impossible film. I don't know. I haven't seen it in 19 years, so I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is more of a drama spy film than an action film, from what I know of it. I don't know why you can't have both. I just don't understand why you can't have both. I just don't. Why you can't it. have a smart film that's that's smart with its action sequences and smart in terms of its plot, and then there aren't ridiculous things that happen at the end that are just for the action, like. That whole motorcycle chase scene, mm-hmm. the implausibilities of that seem to be, they, they at times they sort of take me right out of the movie. What's implausible about the motorcycle chase scene? Just the fact that he's able to ride a motorcycle after being defilibrated. <laughs> That's one. But uh, I think at one point they speed past him and he sees him in the corner of his eye or out of the corner of his eye and then he realizes, oh, they must be being chased by these other motorcycle guys. So let me go get on this other motorcycle. And then he can catch up to these other motorcycles that are several miles ahead of him by the time he gets onto the motorcycle that he's chasing them with. Well, we don't know how long he was chasing them down for. Because he <laughs> right. cuts to them on the right. highway then. Right. Uh, and it's yeah, shown that but, he's got better uh, reflexes. And... Yeah, right. But that doesn't mean that their motorcycle, his motorcycle is just automatically going to be faster than theirs. We don't know who's driving at top speed and whatnot. Like I said, this movie does so many other things so well that the faults seem to stick out that much farther. It's like a well-tuned orchestra, except the the percussionist is drunk. And he starts slamming into the xylophone with bricks. (laughs) That makes more more of a spectacle to me than the the music that surrounds it. Uh, Okay. Uh, We're a supermodel with spinach on her teeth. I'm just saying that that's that's what that's my take on it. I'm not. You don't have to agree no, with me. I enjoyed doing the motorcycle chase sequences. I appreciated them because it felt like Tom Cruise was doing a lot of the stunts. I didn't feel like there was a ton of CGI. I know that they would have added in vehicles that they were swerving around just for safety considerations, make the road look more crowded than it is. For um, some reason, it you... didn't. I didn't see a whole lot of green screen work in there, which during a lot of car chase sequences, whenever you cut inside the cabin of a car, the actor's always on a green screen, and you can tell because the windows don't look real. The light coming in just doesn't match. It doesn't work. I don't know. Maybe it's too stylized for me to appreciate the technical aspects of it. Yeah. I thought that was done really well. I thought the whole stuff in the opera house, the suspense that they built, and cutting back and forth, I thought all that was done very well. I thought it was long, and and there was, he's got a notebook that allows him to see where Tom Cruise is at all times, but he's not even really sure that Tom Cruise was there to begin with, and then all of a sudden he knows where, they know where each other is in this uh, setting, or they know where each other... The computer was in the packet of yeah, that he was given I, when I he got it. off the train. I mean, I saw it, I, I was there too, oh. but I didn't. I didn't, and they're the only two people that see the assassin in the light, the only lighted booth in the... It's uh, in the back of the theater. Everyone's facing in front. Like I said, it's there. It's what it is. It is what it is. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I I didn't have these same issues with The Raid, or The Raid 2, Redemption. And I liked those movies. And I didn't, and there was a lot of impossibilities, I suppose, but I didn't they didn't stick out as much to me and it didn't seem to me like they were that, that the pot, the plots were as convoluted as this one. You can tell me if I'm wrong. No, I mean, I, I think they're different genres of films, action movie genres. I mean the action movie. So where, where would you put that? I mean, this is, this doesn't, this is a summer blockbuster, easy PG 13, just fun action film where the raid is a, um, Asian martial arts film. And wow. I do feel like that is a slightly different genre. Or, you know, if you so, want to break it down and say they're subgenres, then. All right. But there's a different aesthetic 
there's a different editing pace to an Asian martial arts film than there is to an American blockbuster. All right. Well, maybe, I guess I, I would put them in the same genre and I would put this in the same genre with Fury Road and Jurassic World. And I guess, I mean, you could subcategorize them to the point of, of, you know, separating them out in, in terms of, you know, plots and ideas and tropes and all that. But in the end, which of these movies do I like and which don't? And I would say I like The Raid and Fury Road, and I don't like necessarily this movie and uh, Jurassic World. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess they're, to me they all sort of operate, they're all swimming in the same pool. Yeah, I think, though, also you're going to appreciate the cinematography that went into The Raid a whole lot more than you are with Jurassic World. Just, you know, the the style. Um same thing with uh, Mad Max versus uh, Mission Impossible 5. In Fury Road, there was a whole lot of emphasis on keeping the action centered in the frame. And that's a very different style of shooting films. And the cinematographer was actually starting to get mad at the director on Fury Road. He's like, let me put the action off to the side. It's a more interesting shot. And the director was saying, no, keep it in the center. It's easier for people to understand what's going on when I do all my quick cutting. Plus, Fury Road didn't have a script. It was all storyboarded. It was designed visually, and you definitely respond to visuals more than anything else in a movie, I would argue. All right. So, it's just my two cents. Well, I mean, your two cents counts as much as mine does. So, I... No, I mean, I don't think the cinematography was anything uh, amazing in this film. It got the job done. I think the locations were great. Yeah. And well-dressed, you know, but... The cinematography, I mean, there are no great shots that I'd want to go and point out to a film class. Okay. So, it's just me. Most people agree with you. More people agree with you than agree with me on this movie. Shocker. So, <laughs> it's, not, it's not that shocking. No, I mean, if this isn't your cup of tea, it's well, not your cup of tea. Like Jorge Luis Borges said, soccer is popular because stupidity is popular. <laughs> but that's not the quote of the week. No, 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 unfortunately. No. No. Well, I'll set it up. You can do the quote. I think I have to set it up because I'm not sure I remember the quote. All right, all right. You set it up then. Well, we lost a, a, a great in wrestling and, I guess, cinematic history. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was the greatest fight scene ever. Rowdy Roddy Piper passed. Mm-hmm. Enlarged heart? Uh, something wrong with his heart. Some physical ailment. I just heard him recently on a podcast, and he seemed, I mean, he was in good spirits. He's a really interesting guy. Only 61 when he died. Yeah. That's not bode well for me. <laughs> That's like 10 years from that for me. Uh, so, I looked up. And he's in a lot better physical shape than I have. He was only 10 days older than my mom. So wow. I was like, oh, I don't like this. And he's only seven years older than uh, Tom Cruise. So... Anyway, yeah, we we're, we've missed Rowdy Roddy Piper. So this is from his movie. They live. They live. I almost said they died. One of the greatest one-liners of all time. I came here to chew bubble gum and to kick ass. And I'm all out of gum. Rowdy Roddy Piper, we'll miss you. So we've done the uh, updates on all the box office stuff. Yeah, I'm winning by three million. And we each have one film left. I've got Fantastic Four opening this weekend, and in two weeks you've got Sinister Two. <sighs> all right, so it's a good thing we haven't decided on <laughs> the stakes. <laughs> I thought we said uh, you're going to have to drink a sriracha uh, milkshake. No, you said that. I said no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so if you want to contact us and let us know what we what if you agree with me or if you think that Mr. Two Frames is right about this movie or anything else that we talk about, you can contact us on Twitter at uh, The Laugh Podcast, right? Yes. You and if it's see, email, what is it? It's uh, thelaughpodcast at gmail.com. You can uh, comment on our webpage at www.thelaughpodcast.com or you can like us on Facebook at Facebook slash The Laugh Podcast? Facebook.com slash The Laugh Podcast. Oh, I missed the dot .com part. If you download us on iTunes, you can give us a review and uh, subscribe to the show, right? Yep. Have I thought of any, left off any other social media? I think you hit it all. Wow. 
This might be the first time. <laughs> so uh, next week's show, we're not really sure what it is. We'll have a wee laugh for you, but if you have any ideas, you can let us know. Maybe it's the gift. Are we leaning towards the gift? That's fine. Or we might be able to do another um, another literature podcast. So we'll let you know. We'll let you know when you hear the wee laugh next week, and then uh, we'll give you the... The, another show for another wonderful show of debate and criticism on the Laugh Podcast. So for Mr. Uh, two Frames over there, it's been a pleasure. I'm the L Trade. Pox have bonum, everybody. There be dragons. Speaking of Graves of Wrath, William Faulkner called Raymond Chandler, mm-hmm. asked him about, because he's writing the screenplay for The Big Sleep, that movie. Yeah. He called him up. He said, I don't understand. What the hell is this? <laughs> what is this book about? Chandler famously said, I don't know. <laughs> you figure it out. <laughs>